Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 2nd, 2022. This week, CNN Plus debuted. No, this isn't a late April Fool's joke. I'm Kim Hollis, super boosted. (laughs) And hopefully shingles free as well. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified and entertainment media analyst who can't lift his arms. I hurt everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's done. Just done. I think we are all done. So tired. (laughs) For many different reasons. But I am going to sleep forever. (laughs) Sounds good to me. And we want to mention that our beloved Tim is not here this week because he's actually going through something a a little bit serious. And we just wanted to know when he listens to this that we love him and we are thinking about him. In our deep dive this week, say hello to America's newest streaming service, CNN Plus. Will we be saying goodbye to it soon enough? Vulture said CNN Plus has quibby vibes. Ooh. <laughs> Them's fighting words. Holy smokes, Vulture. Dude, it's the did, streaming did service. Did take offense at that? <laughs> oh the streaming service has been out for two days. Jesus, give them a minute. Uh, <laughs> David, you've been watching it. What do they have on CNN Plus? <laughs> well, obviously, I write about Disney a lot for a living. Uh, it's one of my major uh, outlets at this point. And I saw that there was going to be a Chris Wallace interview with Bob Iger. And so I tried to pull it up. And Kim will tell you it did not go well. Um, <laughs> they don't respect the construct of time, do they, Kim? <laughs> they do not. David kept pulling up something that was supposed to be there and supposed to be there. And supposed to be there, and it was never there. When you log into CNN Plus, it'll say that Chris Wallace will post his Monday through Thursday interview, this extensive, really 2020-ish interview at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're going to say that, all I'm asking is to honor it. You don't have to say a certain time, but if you do, you know, be honest about it. And well, at 1030 last night, after four days, legitimately four days of media quotes from the interview, it finally went live. And by that time, I was kind of frustrated and over it. But I will say that signing up for CNN Plus was easy. And also on top of that, the service did not have any glitches, stutters, or the like, which, you know, God help us, we've got low standards at this point, but that's a pretty good win. In terms of content, uh, Carrie Champion and Jamel Hill, whom I absolutely adore from their tenure at ESPN, especially Carrie Champion, who I think is one of the most talented people on the planet, they turned their podcast into on-air content here. And then there's the Chris Wallace thing, and then there's you know a few other things it feels like they wanted a streaming service more than they had ideas for how to fill out a streaming service i suspect they have a back catalog of the cnn films like blackfish and some of those uh series they have no reservations and some of those other shows they definitely advertise the stuffing 
out of no reservations. And I actually find that a little bit uncomfortable because uh-huh. obviously he didn't just die. It was a really sad story. And his family and friends have indicated the fact that they didn't appreciate how CNN handled a lot of that immediately afterward. And I would imagine it's only gotten worse since then. But yeah, if you want to watch, you know, the history of comedy or reframed Marilyn Monroe or a Carol King and James Taylor documentary, this is the place to go. How many people were asking for that? Well, I could probably count them on one hand. So I, I what I'll say is it's a very thin launch, a definitely quibbyish launch. Yeah, the um, I mean, CNN has produced some really good documentary content. And the fact that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find it online was very much a shortcoming for their parent company, uh, Warner Media. So, yeah, p- uh, putting them on a streaming service for that uh, for that matter. Probably a good idea. Should maybe that content have been on HBO Max instead? Probably. A rhetorical question. Uh, what's the one thing they don't have on CNN Plus? CNN. You cannot watch live CNN on CNN Plus. It is kind of amazing if you think about what Disney Plus would be like without Disney content. So if you're going to call it this, I mean, it is ballsy. It is it is genuinely a daring approach. But if, if you just like click around and play with the buttons and everything, like they're selling like the interview club. That's one of their big selling uh, points is that you can ask someone who's on one of these broadcast questions and they may answer like uh, just right now. Somebody has asked Jamel Hill her opinion about something that happened with Will Smith the other day that we're not going to go in. And it's been upvoted enough that Jamel Hill is going to comment on it. And so there is a new level of interactivity with celebrities. And so there's that. But the whole thing feels like coffee talk. I mean, it feels like, if anything, this is CNN's The View more than anything else to me. It sounds like the cutting edge of Reddit. Yeah, I don't know. They, it just doesn't sound like something that's going to get any kind of a critical mass of subscribers to really warrant a sustained platform, particularly when, if I can segue this into another story we've been looking at, the of course, the merger of CNN's parent company, Warner Media with Discovery. There continues to be talk about some kind of merger of the streaming platforms there, which is HBO Max and Discovery Plus. They're talking about consolidating streaming platforms. And why is it that they have even bothered to launch the CNN Plus? And the fact that they launched it almost at this point as an afterthought, how many people in America would be able to have told you that CNN Plus launched on March 29th? What kind of marketing is out there right now, short of, I'm guessing, if you are watching CNN on cable, I'm sure you got flooded with ads. (laughs) But if you didn't, then you don't even know the service exists. The thing I'll add here that's important to keep in mind is without going into, you know, accusations or whatever, the head of CNN suddenly was forced to resign for violating company policy. And so what I believe we're seeing now with CNN Plus is the fact that it was a relatively rudderless ship as the launch date approached. They have since brought in someone who is, and this is good news from our perspective, one of the most trusted lieutenants of Jason Kyler, which means we're pretty confident this person's going to be really, really good at the job. But there was like that two or three month gap where nothing was happening and yet they didn't push the date of this. And so it's one of those things where I'm kind of in wait and see mode because it was just, to me, it was set up to fail. Raul, do you read anything into the fact that, you know, Zucker left and now we really haven't had that sort of stewardship since then? 
I think without Zucker at the top, CNN Plus is going to not last. If Zucker had been around, this would have launched with a lot more fanfare. Zucker had a lot of power within the water media enterprise, and he had carved out his own fiefdom, uh, which was one of the reasons that Zucker is no longer at CNN. The impropriety was simply a pretext for removing him and taking away all the power that he had. And whether CNN Plus was a good idea or not, once Zucker was gone, no one had to carry on Zucker's project. I'm going to disagree with you here because it's an open secret that the new head of Discovery, HBO's merger, David Zavzlov, is very, very close with Zucker. So it's not like they were trying to get rid of him. It's the opposite of that. They were expecting CNN Plus to be a huge monetary stream, a money-making machine. And once he left, now they're kind of looking around going, okay, the best we can do is that guy who was executive producing the late night show. Now, I actually believe that's going to prove to be a very good hire, but you just can't have a big name like Zucker get torpedoed at the last minute and not have these sort of ripple effects. At least that's how I feel about it. And that's why I'm not ready to, you know, bury it and say that it died in the crib. Yeah, well, well, let's get into the politics of that then, yes, because David Zasloff was a very good friend of Zucker. Speculation runs deep that Discovery and David Zasloff decided to buy Warner Media because Zasloff and Zucker were friends. But if you take it one step further, on the board of Discovery is a gentleman by the name of John Malone, who is not a fan of Zucker. So there is infighting within the leadership of Discovery itself. John Malone has a vision for CNN, which is not David Zaslov's vision for CNN. One of them got their way, and the one who got his way was not Zaslov. John Malone got his way. David Zucker is gone, and CNN is going to be whatever John Malone wants it to be. And I don't think that John Malone's vision for CNN includes CNN+. Plus. And let's not forget, launching a streaming service without any kind of leadership and then bringing in either Jason Kylar or Jason Kylar Acolyte is a Warner Media thing. It is what they do. Hey, it worked last time. <laughs> they got there eventually. I mean, people who listen to the start of this podcast versus today cannot believe that HBO Max has survived. I mean, it was that grim for a while. And, you know, I'm sure that Kim had flashbacks when she was listening to me swear at CNN Plus <laughs> because it wouldn't post the content. No, it, it wouldn't. It was it was like the the whole week before when Halo wouldn't go live on time. I guess it's just going to have to be wait and see on the whole CNN Plus thing. Really, we are like, two, three days into its launch. Uh, let's not write it off yet, but another story for us to watch in, uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months. I think it's going to be another fascinating uh, perspective on uh, the whole streaming front. In our rapid fire this week, the headlines are full of stories about streaming services trying to make ends meet. Peacock is testing a program that gives away free movie tickets or rentals to subscribers every month. YouTube is adding full seasons of TV for free on its service. Bally Sports still thinks they can secure a broader MLB contract. And Fubo TV is pivoting towards profitability based on increased ad revenue. What a weird hodgepodge of struggling streaming services that think they can make things work. Also YouTube. Yeah, I say the the YouTube one is the weirdest. It's like YouTube doesn't need commercial content. Why? Uh, they've got plenty of content. 
so uh, the fact that they're licensing content, whole seasons of TV shows to add to their platform for, so you can watch for free just seems entirely unnecessary. No one's going to YouTube to watch a full season of anything. I mean, I absolutely think that's correct. But then I also think that we've seen the ratings for Heartland. So if somebody's like, what's Heartland? And they can go to YouTube and watch three seasons of it. I mean, obviously, the programs we're talking about are horrible. But, you know, YouTube has the money and it's probably not a massive expense. It's something they can brag upon. I think that this is a perfectly viable decision on their part, unlike the other stories we're talking about here, which is just, you know, screaming into the darkness. And before we look at those, uh, a quick reminder that perhaps the most successful series in streaming, Coco Melon, runs on YouTube. So YouTube does have at least an example of how serialized commercial content works. And the fact that they want to toss out, yes, Heartland or seasons of hell's kitchen i'm not entirely sure what any of this content means for anyone you could watch all of these on other platforms but sure okay you could also watch them on youtube i could see how youtube is maybe trying to position themselves as a place to watch all streaming content where you don't have to go elsewhere but honestly i don't think i want to watch hell's kitchen on youtube or anywhere else it's just it's it's very meh content. I want to add that it's fascinating to me when you actually pull this up. I'll use an example. Uh, there's a really bad syndicated TV show I used to watch because I love Tia Carrera, and that is Relic Hunter. And you can <laughs> pull up Relic Hunter and watch it for free on YouTube. But when you do, they'll also say, or would you rather pay for it? And I'm just like, is anyone out there actually going to say yes to, on second thought, instead of watching Kitchen Nightmares for free, can I pay for it? Oh, no, that's weird. The Peacock story, uh, you you were laying that one out for me, David, and it took me a moment to uh, uh, put two, two together. But it, it it's not that it necessarily is good, but it makes sense in the sense that NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, owns Fandango, which sells movie tickets, and Voodoo which sells and rents movies online. And so that that is a synergy that makes sense to me in the sense that connect Fandango with Voodoo with Peacock. Yeah, they all work together. Uh, my analogy would have been if, uh, if, if Comcast owned HelloFresh, it would make sense that then uh, subscribe to Peacock and you'll get one free month of HelloFresh. That's synergy. That makes sense. Now, is it smart or does it smack of desperation? Yeah, it smacks of desperation is what it smacks of. But the fact that they do have these products, it's like you, you might as well link them together. If they all go down, uh, I mean, they're all going to go down together. God, I don't want my voodoo to go away. I, I have thousands and thousands of movies in my voodoo library. But it's like leverage everything you got and, and hopefully make it work. But hearing that Peacock is giving you free stuff so you'll subscribe is not a vote of confidence in my book. You literally said what I was going to say, which is that it smacks of desperation. There is somebody sitting in office somewhere at Peacock and said, what is the least amount we can do to increase subscribers without doing anything out of pocket? Some places are doing something crazy. They're actually trying to create high quality content. They're going, you know what, there's existing content that we can, you know, just like give you a movie ticket to go see. What's that you say? You're not going to see a movie? Uh, okay. Um, we could let you own a movie. No, that would be too much. We'll, we'll let you rent 
one of the movies you're not going to see in theaters for $5. We'll give it to you for free now for your $5 subscription. And, you know, even when you describe the process, it just seems like I'm begging them to try using half their ass. You know, that would be like an upgrade in the amount of effort being shown here. This is, wow, this was a frustration to me when I read this. They clearly don't have ideas and they don't hide it well. You had asked me, David, what content on Peacock uh, have they announced recently or is on Peacock now that's got anybody excited? The last real buzz that I saw out of any project on Peacock was that Tiger King dramatization. And honestly, uh, that one doesn't really seem to have clicked with anyone. There is nothing that has been announced on Peacock or is currently playing on Peacock that really would would interest me. The last time I'd been on Peacock was for the Olympics. Before that, the only thing I'd watched on Peacock was Girls 5 Eva. And there is nothing on my radar right now that, uh, that makes me say, boy, I can't wait for that new show coming up on Peacock. What are they doing? Are they, are they holding their cards close to the vest? Do they have a, an array of new programs coming up soon that they haven't announced yet that when they hit us are going to shock us with their quality? Or are they just flailing? Since Tim's not here, he would want us to point out the fact that WrestleMania is this weekend, which means more people will watch Peacock this weekend than they probably have, you know, since the Olympics, if not the Super Bowl. But it's still a blip on the radar overall. And honestly, in looking at their upcoming projects, the only one of note is the Pitch Perfect TV series. And so I don't know what they're doing, but it feels like they're just not trying. I'm reminded that Peacock launched with a 30 Rock reunion that I was very excited about when it was announced. And it turned out to be a very self-aware, but also very shallow Peacock commercial. And uh, it really, if anything, it diminished the value of what 30 Rock had been previously. That had always been uh, like one of the best comedy series of all time. And the fact that they brought all the cast together to do this was very disappointing. All they could do now is just lean into the brands they have right now. And Pitch Perfect is one of them. And there is not a lot of people out there saying, you know what, let's go back to the Pitch Perfect well one more time. What do they have? They don't have friends. It's not theirs. They don't have Seinfeld. They've got the office. I'm going to make the same assertion here that I've been saying for Disney+. Plus. If nothing else, they should go for some Universal Studios park content. They just need something. And since they obviously don't have the budget right now to greenlight anything of note, at least do cheap content that people might want to watch. I mean, it is just so grim following Peacock compared to the other places. I mean, we were actually talking earlier today. Kim and I have watched two different things on Paramount Plus in the last 24 hours. We probably haven't watched two different things on Peacock <laughs> since the start of 2022. I, I don't know what the, was the last thing we watched on Peacock. I'm struggling to even, we I guess watched it was the Olympics. Olympics. Yep, Olympics yeah, Ski Cross, which, you know, we pulled up because we actually, the way they did the coverage on YouTube TV, we somehow missed what is basically our favorite event. But beyond that, I can't think of like a show. Was, wasn't Halloween Peacock? Yeah, uh, I believe that. It yeah. was, but that was back in the fall. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, <laughs> Halloween would be the answer. 
Yeah, oh, well, that's, I, so bad. <laughs> that's where they're leaning into their theatrical productions. When you asked me earlier, David, about like what's been the buzzy thing on Peacock, there was that Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson movie, Marry Me. But again, that was like, no, that was a theatrical movie that they also happened to have pivoted towards Peacock, which the fact that they still get to get away with putting a movie out day and day theatrically and streaming and nobody even cares. It's like even the exhibitors don't care anymore. Oh, you're going to put it on Peacock? Haha. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, they don't mind. They throw a fit when Disney does it. When Universal yeah. does it, they're like, yeah, nobody cares. And, and I, to that example, I mean, the 355 was not day and day. That is the women's espionage action film that came out earlier in 2022. And obviously, we're recording this on April 1st. So it hasn't been in theaters very long. It has been available on Peacock already in March. So this might be one of their really cheap ways to boost subscribers also is whenever they do a theatrical release, get it up on Peacock in a couple of months, but that is basically cannibalizing potential sales on digital outlets. And it is also devaluing the process for, you know, the former second media outlets and all they're getting in return for it is people going, oh, 355 is on Peacock. And that's only if people pull up Peacock, which I'm not sure is happening anyway. I do like that pitch you just made, though, about a kind of Disney parks behind the scenes. But for the Universal Studios parks, people would eat up that, yeah, Wizarding World of Harry Potter content. Although I wonder, like, how much of that they'd need to, like, cross license with Warner Brothers, because, I mean, they do not own that property. They license that property from Warner Brothers. But, yeah, that is that's a million dollar idea. Do it. Uh, yeah, they really are hamstrung. You're saying that, and I'm realizing you're absolutely right. Catchphrase, it's a licensing nightmare. And also, Simpsons Land would be the next biggest thing because Universal Studios now has Springfield at most of its parks. Can't do that. That's Disney. Boy, they just can't catch a break. And do we need to talk about Bali Sports and uh, their rather Pollyannish view that they think they can get a, uh, a Major League Baseball contract? <laughs> I started to say we've laughed at them enough, but then Kim laughed at them more. So now it's more than enough. It's their chief operating officer saying, yeah, I'm optimistic. I still think we can get that, uh, that MLB wide contract. And MLB is like, yeah, we're good. We've got MLB TV. We got it covered. And then the Fubo story. I mean, I don't want to dismiss it because in a way it is interesting, but it's showing all these services that committed to skinny bundles have basically learned why cable television was failing. And that's because the people who provide the channels keep wanting higher carriage fees, even though they're getting, you know, fewer people watching. It is a losing business model with unreasonable people providing it. And that's why if you're the middle person right now, you're just getting squeezed all over the place. And I suspect what we're going to see with Fubo TV is they're just going to have to give up the ghost in 18 months or so. They're profitable now, or rather they, they just recently pivoted towards a profitable plan. They are making money off their advertising, which is what we're starting to understand now about streaming. Short of a service like Netflix or even Disney, and Disney these days is, is clearly moving towards an advertising model as well. The, the only way to make money is through advertising on your streaming service. That's where we're, we're going going back, honestly, to the old school. I mean, that's how television broadcasts and cable work for years. And that is how the streaming services are going to survive when Peacock can't make it any other way. When Paramount Plus may be struggling, you add an advertising tier and then you sell the hell out of those ads. And now you've got A, subscriber revenue and B, ad revenue. 
two revenue streams. Congratulations. And FUBU has made it work. Analysts like what they see. But at the same time, this is very much one of those in-between offerings, a service that's going to last only so long until people realize that FUBU as one of these skinny bundles or over-the-top OTT bundles is it's where you go to get something when you're not subscribing to cable or satellite, you subscribe to the streaming product instead. You get NBC, you get CBS, you get Fox, you get ABC, you get some of the cable channels like ESPN and so forth. But I've already cut back my cable package dramatically because why am I paying for cable when I am paying for ESPN Plus? When I want to see the stuff that's on ESPN, I go to ESPN Plus. When I want to watch the programs that are on one of the broadcast channels or one of the cable channels, I watch them on demand on their equivalent streaming service. FUBU will only last so long as people remain mired in their old traditional viewing habits and they will make money until that collapses and right now they're making money good for them raul with tim absent this week would you take us into the ratings um i'll try i um, i'm (laughs) I'm not going to do it half as well as tim but let's see what we got we are looking at the ratings for the week of February 28th through March 6th. And uh, what we're seeing this week is a lot of the same that we saw last week, except uh, about 20% less. Uh, I'm not entirely clear where all the viewers went. I'm guessing they all went to uh, binge Peacemaker on HBO Max. Literally no one has done that ever. Well, without HBO Max being on the charts, I am going to stick with that assertion. They're all watching HBO Max this week, and it's because uh, John Cena is a peacemaker. I'm absolutely certain of it. Prove me wrong. All right. So at number one, we have Inventing Anna on Netflix at 1.1 billion minutes, only 1.1 billion minutes for its nine episodes. That is down from the two billion minutes it had last week. So then at number two, we have Vikings Valhalla in its second week and its first full week on the charts. It's gone up from uh, about 800 million minutes last week to about a billion minutes this week. So it is picking up a little bit of viewership there, but the fact that it didn't burst into the number one spot suggests that it's probably found its ceiling. Weirdly, the uh, number three show this week is the uh, Netflix reality show, or we can maybe call it a true crime podcasty show, Worst Roommate Ever, where people tell us their roommate horror stories and some of these terrible events are reenacted. It is only five episodes, and that too is at almost exactly 1 billion minutes, 1.032 billion minutes. While at number four uh, is Love is Blind, which holds strong. It's actually dropped a little bit from its 1.3 billion minutes and its number two position last week. Uh, This week, it is at number four at 998 million minutes, just under a billion. So basically, we've got four shows here that have made a billion minutes or more in views, and none of them none of them reflects any newness to them. Every week we do the what's new in streaming, and we always say the content Netflix has coming, but it kind of reinforces the fact that not all content is created equal, and just for whatever reason, the new stuff they've had hasn't resonated as much as these older titles. And honestly, out of those, the one I'm a little bit surprised about is Vikings Valhalla, since it 
was an expansion of a very popular franchise. So this isn't this isn't the performance I would have expected, but we do have a, a pretty solid performance or two coming up on the charts. I do think that Vikings Valhalla might take a little bit of time to build up uh, with only eight episodes in this first season. It just may need some momentum in its second season to carry it over into that third season, assuming Netflix continues its three seasons and out business. I, I think it can get there. It just needs to rekindle that flame with the Vikings fans. But yeah, uh, as you mentioned, David, at number five is the uh, Tony Collette drama Pieces of Her, eight episodes at 752 million minutes. It just premiered this week, so it it still may uh, get some momentum next week. It's uh, it's interesting to see that here. I didn't think it was really going to make any waves at all, but I think having the star power of Tony Collette in it is is helping the show. That's the only thing that I can think that that is working in its favor because it it's not been well reviewed, and I really haven't heard a lot of buzz for it. And it, it does sound pretty grim as a narrative mm-hmm. as well. So I'm not sure anyone would be particularly enticed to want to watch it other than to see a very, let's say, powerhouse dramatic role. Mm-hmm. At number six is uh, our beloved, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, 32 episodes now at 682 million minutes. Yay! That puts it at just under where it was uh, last week when it had 719 million minutes with 30 episodes. As you'll recall, they're putting out two episodes a week. So uh, we're coming up to the uh, the end of the season, but we have two more episodes. I expect those last two episodes may see a spike in the viewership as people tend to binge the entire season once all the episodes are out. So watch for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel to uh, stage a little comeback next week. Yeah, this is what I was referencing. I think that pieces of her and the marvelous Ms. Maisel are very, very strong performances. And it's always a little strange to have these conversations. It was an awkwardness with box office as well. If a Transformers movie comes out it only earns 40 million it's actually a disaster if you know a, a general a generic comedy comes out and opens 40 million like say wedding crashers it's an absolute juggernaut so we always have to have a scale and a relativity of expectations we're talking about an amazon project that people hadn't seen in a couple of years and we're talking about as kim said a tony collette project that really is just selling her and so i think that these results are very very good, all things considered. Whereas I I do view the early data on Vikings Valhalla as just, I don't want to say subpar, but not what it should have been. And I wonder if they needed to push it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. The next three are titles on their way out, led by Ozark, which I suspect is actually going to drop out of the top 10 just in time for the second half of the last season to come out and for it to then just make a huge resurgence. Once that last uh, part of the last season shows up, I expect Ozark to catapult back into the stratosphere at three to four billion minutes. But right now, this part one of the last season, they have half a billion minutes at number seven, then Reacher on Amazon with 372 million minutes and Sweet Magnolias on Netflix with 329 million minutes. And then maybe the most significant of the titles on the originals chart this week, The Dropout, the Hulu series about the Theranos scandal, the first Three episodes of this, I believe, eight-part series uh, makes it in at number 10 with 255 million minutes. 
And I, I don't know how you two feel about it, but I have to say that given all of the hype, this is a middling performance for a Hulu title. Now, obviously, it's pretty rare for a Hulu title to get on here, but we have seen with better shows, stronger performances. So I don't think that this is given the bang for the buck than they were expecting. I think I'd agree with that. I felt like they pushed it quite a bit. And for all the marketing that I saw for it, I, I don't think it did as well as I, I might have expected. With the cast they have, they may be fishing for some uh, Emmy love, especially for Amanda Seyfried and uh, the rest of the leads. But at this point, it's I'd say it's more of a wait and see. It's the first three episodes. The fact that it made the top 10 uh, for many Hulu titles, making the top 10 is remarkable, uh, short of something like The Handmaid's Tale or or only murders in the building. Not a lot of stuff on Hulu makes it into the top 10. So that alone should be reason to celebrate. I'm really glad you said that. I mean, I'm really glad because that makes me realize we haven't done a bit of research here that we need to do. Uh, with the Academy Awards, I mean, Kim will tell you because she used to do this sort of research a lot. Getting an Academy Award nomination was so huge to projects. I mean, so huge. And I'm curious to see if there is an Emmy bump or a People's Choice bump. I think as weirdly as this, as this might sound, you might want the people's choice type of bump more, but we're going to go back and look and see over the next few days whether or not you actually are seeing that sort of phenomenon. And I think that by that point, it'll be too little too late for this, but I'm only blindly speculating because there might be data that shows I am dead wrong here. All right, taking it into movies, we're seeing a lot of the same here. Encanto has managed to hold off Madea. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> he wasn't that far off, but it is uh, proportionally very similar to what we saw last week, where last week uh, Encanto had 1.1 billion minutes and Medea, uh, Medea Homecoming had 1 billion minutes. This week, again, slightly smaller numbers, about 20% off. Encanto had 864 million minutes and Medea Homecoming at 746 million minutes. Again, I'm not entirely sure where all those viewers went. Maybe it was just sunny outside and people went outside to play. But uh, it's, it's almost exactly the same charts, just a little bit smaller. At number three, we have Free Guy with only 487 million minutes. Again, that is down from last week's 1 billion minutes. So that's uh, less than half of what it did last week. Yeah, that one surprises me. That is a great film and generally great film shows strong stability. On the charts, this is kind of the opposite thing where it's kind of trending toward flaming out, which, you know, I, I, everyone should watch Free Guy. So this one caught me off guard. I'm guessing that after everyone was done watching Peacemaker, they then watched Free Guy on HBO Max, which is not charted here. Numbers I'm four. I'm paying you. <laughs> Sign up to HBO Max. I get a, I get a commission every time. Numbers four and nine go together, where number four is Shrek 2 on Netflix, and number nine is Shrek on Netflix. Given what we saw recently with Despicable Me 1 and 2, I suspect that Shrek just recently made its way back onto Netflix, uh, which is why they're showing up here. And I suspect that the streaming service has also marketed the crap out of the fact that these shows are now back onto, onto their streaming service. To Tim's credit, he would have done the research. I only speculate. 
And this one cracks me up because Kim and I were talking about this the other day. At the start of the year, Universal Studios killed its Shrek 4D show after, you know, 20 years. It was a big deal. There was an outcry. And they basically said, you know, right now, people just don't care enough about Shrek. And (laughs) there's this thing showing, well, Netflix can make people care about Shrek. Why can't you? Yeah, people love Shrek. That movie was popular enough to get four movies out of it. So, um, and, and another one coming soon. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, they're doing another Puss in Boots movie, right? Yep. Yeah, there you go. At number five is something that I wonder, and Kim, you might remember this. Did we even mention this movie in our What's I don't this remember week? it, but that is a really generic title. It's called The Weekend Away on Netflix, and it is a Netflix original movie, and it is not a, like a foreign movie or anything. It premiered March 3rd, so right, the, right in this week here. It stars Leighton Meester, and the description is a weekend getaway to Croatia that goes awry when a woman is accused of killing her best friend as she attempts to clear her name and uncover the truth. Her efforts unearth a painful secret. Mm-hmm. And this we might have done that one. But again, so generic, it's hard to say. Yeah. I think uh, this is devious on their part. This makes me want to release a movie called Katy Ferry and the Bad Honey because people are searching for the weekend and not getting the thing they want. It is based on a novel from Sarah Alderson. So it might have had uh, some built in audience there. But again, does not ring any bells whatsoever. We we could have talked about it for an hour in our What's New in Streaming, and I still wouldn't have remembered it. At number six is another one that I'm sure Tim would have done the research on, a 2005 movie on Netflix that's called Just Like Heaven. Does anyone remember this movie? Reese Witherspoon movie, I believe. With Mark Ruffalo, right? And we didn't go see it because as much as we love Mark Ruffalo, we weren't going to see a Reese Witherspoon movie. I believe that is correct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven is significant. Uh, it is a premiere of uh, West Side Story on Disney Plus at 313 million minutes. Boom. Not a big opening, but then it didn't do well at the box office either. This is a Steven Spielberg movie, and it's just not clicking. It's just not clicking at all. But it did win an uh, Academy Award for Ariana DeBose. And also as a reminder, this is another HBO Max simultaneous release. So there are multiple places to watch it. At number eight is the Netflix movie Against the Ice, which is a story about the uh, Denmark expedition in Greenland in 1909, where two explorers fight for survival, starring that one guy from Game of Thrones, whose name I'm not going to bother to pronounce. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about that one. That one, uh, that one's memorable. We uh, we did talk about that one. It's and uh, Jamie Lannister in that. Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, of course, we mentioned number nine earlier, that is Shrek. Again, it's like, how is it Despicable Me 2 does better than Despicable Me? And how does that Shrek 2 does better well, than Well, Shrek 2 is is actually quite a bit better than Shrek. And also, from a box office perspective, Shrek 2 absolutely eviscerated. yeah. Yeah, it was a massive success. And then uh, the other head scratcher, uh, <laughs> very much akin to Just Like Heaven from 2005. At number 10, from 2012, the movie blockbuster Battleship. <laughs> I can only what? assume people wanted to see Tim Riggins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. These numbers are very low. I mean, 196 yes. million minutes put Battleship at number 10. Controversial. Still, that's 196 million minutes for Battleship. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
it's a pretty good movie. I swear. I'm, I'm not saying that just to say it, but uh, it was a box office debacle. And so, you know, they're probably looking at it now going, where the hell were these people on opening weekend? <laughs> oh, well. So jumping back to the uh, acquired series, there is nothing significant here. It is 10 shows we have discussed before. NCIS, Criminal Minds, Coco Melon, Grey's Anatomy, Seinfeld, Supernatural, Gilmore Girls, Bluey, New Girl, and Downton Abbey, ranging from 777 million minutes at the top to 262 million minutes at the bottom. There just were not a lot of people watching streaming this week. But a really good week for Amy Sherman Palladino. So remember 20 years ago, David, it does get better. One other side story from the ratings. By now, we know that the best picture winner at the Academy Awards this year was a streaming movie. It's Coda from Apple TV+. And uh, initial analysis, at least if you hear Apple TV executives tell you, is that Coda is surging on their streaming service. And uh, as it turns out, Apple TV+, is included in these Nielsen ratings, uh, we've seen, for instance, Ted Lasso and nothing else from Apple TV Plus so far. But uh, in about four weeks, we're going to know just how much it was surging. If Coda shows up in those movie charts, it'll be because of the Academy Awards. And if it doesn't show up in these movie charts, it'll mean that it surged from almost nothing to a little bit more than nothing. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Catherine Bigelow will direct an adaptation of the David Kep novel Aurora for Netflix. Does anybody know what this novel is? <laughs> I don't. But I uh, like Catherine Bigelow very much. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow is good. And she is she does not make small movies. That's probably a good sign. It is, I believe, a post-apocalyptic movie. So there's probably going to be a lot of explosions and people shooting each other, which is also very much in line with the Catherine Bigelow movie. I am uh, cautiously optimistic about this. I'm trying to figure out, has she made a movie since Detroit? Because if not, it's been like five years. That's how she does. And the answer is no, which means that her last three films are The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Detroit. That's strong. Yeah, I guess when you get to uh, cherry pick your projects, you get to choose only the best. And so I guess another good sign for Aurora then. It must be an indication that she must be very happy with what, uh, with what's been presented to her in terms of script. You'd have to think so. Apple TV Plus has added Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans for Project Artemis. Again, it's a generic title. I mean, yes, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans, that's very exciting. But then we also had Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley in a movie. And just having a couple of big blockbuster actors in a movie doesn't make a big blockbuster movie. Oh, uh, I am trying to suppress those memories. I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Apple TV Plus tends to skew towards art projects. And so I can't tell you with any kind of certainty that this is going to be anything other than maybe just some other arty project. Yeah, maybe. It, it definitely looks like it's going to follow like some space stories, which maybe people will find that interesting. Apple TV Plus does seem to kind of gravitate towards some of the space stories, too. So I don't know. But hey, Jason Bateman's directing. That's I exciting. know. That is interesting. Yeah. 
on Disney Plus, The Full Monty will be revived as a limited TV show, and it will include original cast members. <laughs> Nothing says Disney programming like wrinkled old men penis? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why, but this is probably the most exciting of the green lights and cancellations for me this week. I really enjoyed that movie. I, I have a soft spot for these kinds of British working class like comedy movies, you know, Billy Elliot and other things like that. I enjoyed the full Monty and uh, the fact that they feel that uh, there's a, there's enough story here for them to revisit that narrative with the original cast. Hey, I, I want to know where they take that. Very exciting. On Paramount Plus, Michael Shannon will executive produce American Tragedies, Waco, The Trials. Well, to be fair, you never say no to, my, to Michael Shannon. <laughs> no, you do not. Michael Shannon will star as an FBI negotiator in uh, this project, and he's also executive producing. Uh, the project's set to air to coincide with the 30th anniversary of the Waco tragedy. It's trashy i guess that's what all these american horror american tragedy american crime series are uh they take real life stories and dramatize them some of them do it well some of them do it just for the ratings i think anything with michael shannon's bound to have some quality tied to it so i'd, I'd like to see what they do with it but it's also not necessarily a story i want to relive it is a very sad narrative and if if people get dramatic recognition for it good for them but i may stay away from this one yeah all right as always we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week and I spent the afternoon catching up on Picard. We were a few episodes down and um, watched all of them until I was caught up to present day episodes. So uh, we have that and I like it and they keep ending me on cliffhangers and I keep being irritated about the way that the uh, shows are released. But, you know, I'll deal with it and I'll look forward to the next episode. Raul, how about you? I've been busy over the last couple of weeks uh, traveling and uh, doing some uh, conferences. Uh, I haven't gotten to watch a lot. Most of my watching really has just been some generic YouTube content. But I do want to touch on what David mentioned last week about the first episode of Halo. I have not finished watching the first episode mm. of Halo, despite the fact that I've had opportunities to. Look, I'm going to stick with it. I am going to say I love it, despite the fact that I don't necessarily love it. That first battle scene, uh, the opening battle scene, there are parts of it that look comically bad. The Spartans running around and jumping up and down on the rooftops and such. It looks worse than it would have looked like in the game itself. It almost looks like someone's doing like a parody of what it's supposed to look like. But I, I am excited to see where they take the Covenant at this point, where clearly they're leaning into some alternate narratives for the Covenant. The fact that they have a human woman as some kind of core covenant leader is uh, is an interesting twist and i think they have to do that because otherwise if all the villains were rubbery cartoon characters that looked like they were made in jim henson's creature shop that would have been bad it's tough i want 
the Halo series to run for years and years on Paramount Plus. But right now, I am not liking what I'm seeing so far. I hope that the longer it runs, the better it gets uh, so that we, years from now, have conversations like, boy, that first season wasn't all that good, but that show sure has gotten good since then. So let's uh, let's give it a chance because the alternative is for them to just cancel it and let's not get a Halo series again for 10 years. So I don't I don't like that alternative. Yeah, you uh, you mentioning Halo, for whatever reason, reminded me of the awesome goodness that was Moon Knight, which I can't believe I forgot that we watched because it was amazing. I loved it. I think it's going to be a really cool addition to the MCU. It's also very adult, so going to be interesting to see how it performs in the ratings. Actually, a good opportunity then to bring up the fact that while I was traveling, I, I was in Canada and then I did get to experience Disney Plus in Canada, uh, which yeah. has Star, which is, as I've pointed out, every time I say it, take a shot, Hulu <laughs> by another name, mm-hmm. as it is integrated into Disney Plus. And so, yes, Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus. Disney Plus in Canada is weird. And uh, one day it will be just as weird in the US because yes, the full Monty is coming to Disney Plus. It's all about the parental controls. I get that like Disney is the family brand. Michael Eisner back in the day didn't want you to know that Touchstone movies were Disney movies because we make family movies. Embrace what you are. And you know, you have some adult content and that's just the way it is. And so long as you put up those uh, parental controls, everything should be fine. Your kids can watch Bluey and not worry about seeing uh, Tommy Lee's schlong on their screens. (laughs) All right. And with that, David, what's been keeping you busy? Thanks. I always appreciate a good lead in about Tommy Lee's schlong. Um, (laughs) So we're two episodes in on Halo now and... I don't have great news for Owl. I thought the second episode was kind of regressive. Kim, I'm actually going to throw this back to you. Would you say that in the future, instead of watching Halo first and then Picard, we're probably going to watch Picard first and then Halo when we get to it? Yeah, I think so. I, I would agree with you. Halo, the second episode, was not great. I will say I'm curious about what they're doing, but... At the same time, I don't necessarily like what they're doing. So it's kind of, I don't know. I am ambivalent about the show at this point, but Picard, I'm all about it right now. So they're definitely trying some stuff on Halo. And, you know, if it works uh, for them, more power to them. But so far, it feels like they wanted to make an Expanse show more than they wanted to make a Halo show. And I feel like that's a mistake on several levels because, first of all, Halo would work on its own. And second of all... The Expanse isn't something you can copy, period. But that's where we're at with it. As for Moon Knight, I actually thought that the, oh, he's such a nerd moments in Moon Knight got driven into the ground too much. But when they got to the fireworks factory, whoo, baby, was I ever hooked. It was amazing. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.